that. We proclaim the word of God that says that he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And with his stripes, we are healed. We are thanking you, Father, for the combination of medical doctors and nurses and, and the scientists that are working on this. Father, we believe that you use them. But Lord, we also thank you for the miraculous healings that were instantaneous when people prayed and people were raised up. Lord, however you choose to do this, we accept that. We thank you, Lord, for all of the ways that you've been healing, though. And we point back to you and we say, look what our God has done. I pray now, God, for our nation and for the families that are in our nation that are suffering because of finances. I pray, God, that you would supply all of their need according to your riches and glory. Lord, if you fed Elisha with a raven, Lord, every single day, and if you used a widow woman's little bit of meal and oil to be able to supply for them all through a family, famine, you are able to do the same today. I thank you, Father, for opening doors that only you can open. I thank you, Father, for supplying jobs and for supplying needs that are there in the lives of your people. I pray, God, now for those that are suffering uh, mentally, Lord, that have emotional challenges in this time. I pray that you would help us again to see that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. Lord, I thank you for the peace of God that passes all understanding to rest in the hearts of all of the people that is in this nation. I pray that the church would rise to declare Jesus is still alive and well, and he's still the answer. Now, Father, if those, for those that, have, that are going to be listening to this Bible lesson tonight, I pray that you would set us down, that you would open our eyes, our understanding to the wonderful truths that we will share. And for that, we will praise you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. And everybody say amen. God bless you and welcome tonight to Wednesday night worship in the Word. Thank you, singers and musicians, as we do usually on Wednesday night. We thank you and uh, you may be seated. They did a great job. Give them a hand at home, all right? God bless you tonight. Amen. It is my privilege to be able to be here with each and every one of you here this evening. And we are broadcasting from the church sanctuary, as you can see. And uh, what a privilege it is to be able to uh, share with you tonight, coming into your homes or wherever you're at, and sharing the wonderful Word of God. Tonight I want to talk about a subject that is very important to every single person. If you are a serious uh, uh, individual that is concerned about living for God and doing things right, then you will be, want to uh, be a part of this message, and you'll want to be able to hear what the Word of God has to say on this matter. There are many opinions to uh, this subject that I'm going to be talking about tonight, but I want to ask us this question, what does the Bible say about this specific uh, topic that we're talking about tonight? My subject tonight, simply, baptism, does it really matter? Baptism, does it matter? And I hope to answer that question from the Word of God here tonight in Jesus' name. The story was told of a pastor who was baptizing a lady in a baptismal tank. When he stepped down into the water, he stepped on what he believed was a muskrat that bit his foot and drew blood. Immediately his foot began to bleed. As he and the baptismal 
uh, recipient were jumping around in the baptismal pool. Someone handed that pastor a broomstick to which he quickly subdued the animal, pinning it to the bottom until both of the, uh, the baptizer and the baptismal recipient were able to climb from the water uh, from the baptistry. When they were finally safe and uh, uh, they were out, then he let the animal go, only to discover that when it floated to the top of the water, it was a barrette attached to a hairpiece that he had stepped on that caused the flow of blood in his foot. They thought that a muskrat had gotten into the church and into the baptismal pool. That day, they sang with a smile and with a chuckle, nothing but the blood. (laughs) Tonight, I want to read from uh, the book of Mark chapter 1, and we want to read through verse number 11. If you'd like to stand for the reading of the Word of God in your home, that is a custom, a tradition here, and uh, we do so because we honor the Word of God. You may do so, all right? And I read to you from Mark chapter 1, verse number 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord and make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem, and they were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and honey. And he preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass, verse 9, in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open, and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God bless you. Thank you for standing, and you may be seated if you would like. There are many ideas today, though, when it comes to the topic of water baptism. Much discussion about water baptism even in our day. Many feel like baptism is a good thing, and they acknowledge it, that it is in the Bible, and yet then many of the people, they downplay the necessity or the importance of that baptism. They will say, yes, baptism is a part of the Bible, Jesus was baptized, and you probably should be baptized, but really, it's not really all that important. Others feel that baptism can be administered in any manner that you uh, want to administer that in. Some say that you can sprinkle. Some say you can pour. But what does the Bible say? Is it something that we must uh, absolutely do? Or if none of this matters, uh, then why even baptize at all? In some places, you have to be baptized to be a part of that particular church assembly, no matter what it is, brand, no matter what brand it is, they say you can't be a member of this church until you are baptized. And yet they tell you that you can go to heaven without being baptized. But what does the Bible say? I believe that the Bible records conclusively uh, that baptism is vitally necessary and is needed in the life of a Christian, that is to be administered to Uh, the people in a specific way in order for it to be baptized. 
If I could put it just uh, in one sentence, baptism is absolutely necessary according to the Word of God. And this is why I say that. Mark chapter 11, or rather before I get there, Jesus began His ministry with baptism. Before He ever ministered and began preaching, He was baptized of John. Jesus then concluded His ministry with a command to His disciples to baptize all people. He said this in Mark chapter 16. I believe, though, that He did that because He was putting emphasis, great emphasis, on baptism, and He wanted us to do the same. His ministry began with baptism by Him being baptized, and His ministry ended by Him speaking of the importance of baptism. And I believe that He did so, so that we must see the importance and the necessity of water baptism in every believer's life. So let's study this most important subject for just a few minutes here this evening. The story that we had read to you from Mark chapter uh, 1, it is the story about the baptism of Jesus Christ. Notice three things about baptism that I'll be talking about tonight that I believe apply to every person that is a believer. First of all, there is the preparation for baptism, or in other words, that that we must do in order to prepare for water baptism. Second of all, there is a pattern of water baptism, and by that I mean there is a way that it is to be done, and thirdly, there is the proclamation of water baptism, what it says about us and what it also says about Him. And so let's begin with the first one, the preparation for water baptism. Who is prepared to be baptized? And how does one get ready or prepared to be baptized? Do we just run in and we say, all right, I'm ready to be baptized, and we baptize the individual? Or are there prerequisite for men and women or children, for that, for that matter, that are of the age where they understand, uh, are there things that we must do before we're baptized? The Bible says in Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse number 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the writer writes, as it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. And then he says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord and make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and he preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. John is the one that this is speaking about. John was the cousin of the Lord Jesus Christ. John was a very unique and an interesting preacher, you might say. I don't think that he ever went to seminary. I don't ever think he went to any kind of Bible school or Bible college to prepare him, but he was prepared by God Almighty. He was a very unusual preacher. The Bible says that he ate locusts and he ate honey as his food. The Bible says that his garment was made of a camel skin and he had a linen girdle that he wore. So he was quite the, uh, quite the charismatic preacher, you might say, or quite the interesting preacher. I can see John in my own mind. He has this long, unkept hair, and he has this long, furry and fuzzy beard, maybe like some of you are growing during this time. And John shows up, and he begins to preach to the religious men and women of that day, actually to the high priest. And he shows up, 
and he's got locust legs sticking out of his beard, and he's got honey dripping off of his beard. He's, he's like a wild man, and he's got this wild eye, wild look in his eyes, and he says to these men that were supposedly the men of the cloth, he says, you bunch of snakes need to repent, and you need to be baptized so that you can get right with God. This was John, who was preparing the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice John was the one that, that preached before Jesus Christ, and his job was to prepare for the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ. What would he do? He would straighten paths that were crooked, and that he did as he stood against the religious establishment of that day, calling them out, and uh, they didn't like it too much at all writing the things that were wrong or preaching about them, he did this by preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. He was telling them, you are wrong and you need to repent and ask God to forgive you for that wrong that is there in your life. In those days, I, I, was to, I am told that when a king or an eastern monarch would get ready to go somewhere, uh, they didn't want him to be inconvenienced at all. And so what they would do is they would send out a, a team of workers and they would build a special road for him, filling in the low places and leveling out all of the high places and straightening out all of the crooked places so that it would be better prepared and that he would have an easier time. This was what was known as the preparation to receive a king in that day. This is really what John was doing. John was sent to prepare for the entrance for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so there had to be a preparation for Christ, and He was preparing them also to be baptized. We must prepare ourselves individually for the entrance of the Lord in our lives. We've got to make up our mind that we want Him in our lives. He will never come into your life, never come into your heart, unless you want Him there. John said, we must make a road for His royalty. We must prepare for His entrance. And so how do we do that? We do that by repenting. We do that by putting faith in Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross. And then realizing that we are a sinner. All have sinned, the Bible says, and come short of the glory of God. Or we have fallen short of everything that God wants us to be. And you say, well... I feel bad about that. Everybody has done the same thing. And so then what takes care of that is we take the bulldozer of repentance and we say, God, forgive me for what I've done. And just as that bulldozer, it, it, it raises the high places, bringing them down, and it lifts the low places, bringing them up, and it straightens out the crooked places, making them straight, that's what repentance does in the lives of men, women, and children. God brings down the mountains of pride, and He fills up the valleys of failure that we have in our life, and then He straightens out the crooked places of deceit. You say, well, that didn't happen in my life. Well, then you really haven't repented as of yet, because when you repent, God levels that high places of pride, and He brings up 
brings up and, uh, and He fills up the valleys of failure so that you're no longer walking around saying, I'm not good enough, I'm nobody, I'm really nothing. No, when you do this, you set yourself on a path to receive everything that God wants you to receive so that at some point you can say, I am no longer a sinner, but I am a child of God. I am a son of God, I am a daughter of God, and I can walk as that that He has made me to be. And it begins with repentance and faith in Almighty God. Repentance is the preparation for being baptized. So you might ask the question tonight, what is repentance? Repentance is taken from the Greek word. The New Testament um, Bible was written in Greek. And we have translated it into the King James English or into English. And the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. And it simply means a turning around. I was walking this way, or let me say it this way. I was walking this way. I was going away from God. But whenever I repent, I turn around and I begin to walk towards God. This is what Peter was talking about in Acts chapter 2. He said, save yourselves from this untoward generation. What was he talking about? They were untoward God. And what repentance does, it causes you to turn around and instead of walking away or untoward God, you begin to walk towards God because of that repentance. It is a turning around. It is a changing of one's mind. I've seen some people that say, well, I really didn't change my mind. I just did this because I don't want to go to hell. Well, repenting is a good reason, uh, or or, or repentance uh, is, is really a good thing to do, especially if you don't want to go to hell. But in that repentance, it demands that there was a change of mind. You change your mind from this. I, instead of doing things my way, I'm going to do the things that God wants me to do. I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to do what He wants me to do. Repentance not only involves a changing of mind or a turning away from the things of sin and what we want to do, but repentance also involves sorrow for sin. You see, you need to have sorrow, and I need to have godly sorrow for sin that I have committed in my life. You say, well, pastor, what happens after I repent and I'm baptized and even I receive the Holy Spirit and I sin? Well, you repent. And God forgives you, and the same forgiveness that He gave you when you first repented is the same forgiveness that He continues to extend to you after that time. Here's what Paul said about repentance with sorrow. He said in 2 Corinthians 7 and 10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world, it works death. You see, there's a difference between godly sorrow... And there's a difference between the sorrow of the world. The best way that I probably can think of to explain that myself is I will never forget as a uh, 12-year-old young man, I was in, uh, or 11 years, uh, no, I was probably 12 years old, I was a 7th grader at Morris Kennedy. Morris Kennedy was a middle school in Rockford where I went to school. And I'll never forget, there was a counselor there who was... uh, and I won't say his name, but, but he was a counselor that all of the kids were afraid of. We knew this man as the enforcer. And the reason why we called him the enforcer is because he would enforce the law and uh, he would straighten us out when we got out of line. Because at times, children need to be straightened out when they get out of line. 
Well, when I was 12 years old, I know it's hard to believe, but I got out of a line whenever I was 12 years old, and I was sent to this man's office because I was misbehaving. You say, what did you do, Pastor? Well, I embarrassed the teacher that day by talking back to her, and I was the class clown. I was making fun. I wouldn't sit in my proper seat. And uh, she went out in tears, and I, I feel bad about it still today. And it was all fun and games until Mr. Counselor showed up. All he did was walk in the room, and uh, when he walked in, his presence filled that doorway. And uh, he pointed right at me, and he said, Mr. Maynard, in my office right now. Oh my goodness, suddenly the fun was all over. I still had a little bit of a smile on my face because I didn't want the kids to think I was afraid, but quite honestly, I was scared to death because I was getting ready to go to the judge, the jury, and the executioner's office. I can still remember that sick feeling in the pit of my stomach because of the pain that was about to be inflicted on my backside. Back then, they, they inflicted pain on you when you didn't do what you were supposed to do. It was called, they would use the Board of Education on the seat of knowledge to open up the ears and the mind of your understanding. Amen. And so, I can still remember going in there and he said, did you do this? Yes, I did. All right, bend over, you're going to get three swats. I remember bending over there and um, just waiting for Judgment Day. I was sorry for what I had done, but really, I, I was only sorry because I had gotten caught. This is the sorrow of the world. He hit me the first time with that paddle, and suddenly, my mind began to change just a little bit. About the third swat into Judgment Day, my worldly sorrow, it turned to godly sorrow, and I truly was sorry to God for what I had done. And I made up my mind that that was going to be the way that it was. That, my friend, is sorrow that God looks at, for, looks for in repentance. Sorrow that not only admits your failure, but sorrow that says, by the grace of God, I will never do that again. You say, all right, pastor, but did it work? Did it work? Did it really work for you? Well, I'll just tell you this. I never went to his office ever again. That was the last paddling I had ever got. Why? Because I changed my mind and I changed my heart towards the things that I had done. You see, I was converted. <laughs> and that's what happens in repentance. Repentance involves confession of sin also. Not only godly sorrow, but it also involves confession of sin. Proverbs 28 and 13 says this, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. Or in other words, if you try to hide what you've done, then you're not going to prosper. You can't hide from God. You can't hide from God. You can't hide from God. Because God, He sees everything. But then He went on to say, Whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You notice those two things that He says there? He says you've got to confess them, which means you acknowledge them, and you say, I'm sorry for the things that I have done. That's what that means. It also, mean, it also says that he forsaketh that sin as well. So you have to confess it, and then you turn around, which was what the word repentance means, and you go the other direction. You forsake that sin that is there. This is what 
refers to when it talks about repentance. Proverbs 28 and 13, the message translation puts it this way. You can't whitewash your sins and get by with it. You find mercy by admitting and by leaving them. You see it? It's admitting or confessing, and it's leaving or forsaking. That's what real repentance is all about. You can't just say, I'm sorry, and then get up and say, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. You might do it again, but you've got to have the mindset that says, I don't want to do this again. I have a change of mind. I did things wrong, but I didn't want to do things wrong. Lord, I have changed my mind. Billy Sunday, an old preacher from yesterday, I believe he played for the Chicago Cubs back in the day, but he was converted from a major league baseball player, and he was called by God to preach. And he made up his mind that I'm not going to play major league baseball, but I'm going to preach the gospel because that's what God has called me to do. And when he would preach, he was a straightforward preacher. He preached about playing, uh, uh, he preached against playing cards. He preached against dancing. He preached against drinking. I mean, this guy was a straight up, straightforward preacher. Today, people would be saying, man, I don't want to hear this guy. But he was straight up and he preached against those things in that day. He preached against gambling. He would have been preaching against the lottery. And all of those things that we see regularly in our, in, our, in our communities today, that's the kind of preaching that he was. And so when he would preach about these things, he would call the people to repentance. He would say, if you're doing these things, you need to repent. And then he would say that this is the way repentance is. And he would walk in one direction. And he said, when you repent, he says, you turn around and you begin to go in the other direction. Another very interesting way that he would demonstrate this is he was an athlete, you must understand, and he would say, all right, this is repentance, and he would turn flips in the forward direction. He says, that's, that's, he would turn flips in the forward direction, and then he would say, this is repentance, I changed my mind, and then he would do backflips in the other direction, and then he would say, I have changed my mind. Real repentance, amen, it prepares us for baptism. That is the preparation for baptism. You say, well, what if I haven't repented? Then baptism does you no good, my friend. You must repent, and you must have a change of mind, a change of heart. You must make up your mind that you are going to stop doing things your way and you're going to follow to the best of your ability the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you do that, when you have that, then you are ready for baptism. Not only is there a, uh, the uh, preparation for baptism, but there's also the, uh, the pattern for water baptism. The pattern for water baptism in the New Testament was always by immersion. Somebody somebody once asked, what do you mean by immersion? Well, perhaps we understand this better. It's by dunking somebody under the water. We dunk people under the water. You say, oh my goodness, I would never do that. Well, then if you would never do that, why? Some have said, well, I don't want to get my hair messed up. I don't, want to, uh, I don't want to be embarrassed. And so you've got to lay aside your pride, my friend. Some of you that are watching even tonight, you've never been baptized by immersion because you don't want your pride, uh, you, don't want, you don't want to lay aside your pride. Or maybe, maybe you don't want to get your hair messed up. And yet when you really come to repentance, 
you will be baptized by immersion. Somebody asked the question, why did God choose immersion? I don't know. He chose immersion because he chose immersion. That's why he did it, because that's what he wanted to do. Now, again, we're going to have some reasons why he did that, and there are some symbolisms there. But he chose immersion, which means to go under the water or to make fully wet. The name baptized, or the word baptized, is taken from the Greek word baptizo. And it simply means to make fully wet, or to plunge under, or to immerse, is what it means. Jesus gave us the pattern for baptize when he was baptized. Notice again in our Bible text tonight, in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. Let me, let me just break this down a little bit. He went into the Jordan. Into the Jordan. He went in the Jordan, all right? And he came up straightway out of the water. Well, the reason why he came up straightway out of the water is because he went straightway down into the water. Some would say that you could baptize a person by sprinkling them. But according to the Word of God, the Bible, which is what we believe, and that's what we have our pattern from. The pattern for water baptism has never been done by sprinkling. It's never been done by pouring. But everyone that has truly been baptized the Bible way, it was always done by immersing them in water, by dunking them or by putting them fully under the water. Sprinkling did not begin until about 325 A.D., it was introduced into the church, and, that's, and you can find it in history, but you will never find sprinkling in the Word of God. You'll find sprinkling in the history books, but never in the Bible. And so we've got to go back beyond the history books, go back to the Word of God, the Bible, and there we will find that people were baptized by immersion. Notice in John chapter 3 and verse 22 and 23, these words, after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea. And there he tarried with them and baptized. And John was also baptizing in Anon, near to Salem. And here's why. Because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. The reason why that they baptized in this spot is because there was much water there. That's why they baptized there. Jesus and his disciples went to the place of much water in order for the people to be baptized. Again, the word baptize is from the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse or to put under and to make fully wet. I remember when I first started my ministry uh, that uh, we were baptizing people in the river. And uh, uh, the reason why we baptize people in the river is because there were no baptistries in that day. We didn't, matter of fact, we, um, we, uh, later on we used a horse trough in order to baptize people. And, uh, but we didn't have any money even to buy a horse trough, and so we baptized people in the river. And so when we went down to baptize this uh, particular lady, uh, she was, uh, I think she weighed probably more than I did, and so 
so, and I'm not being, saying that to be derogatory at all, but uh, I had forgotten that uh, when I baptize, I need to baptize against the current. And, well, I baptized her with the current. Instead of baptizing her, if the current was flowing this way, I would baptize that way. But instead, I turned her around, and I baptized her with the current. And I'll never forget, when I baptized her there, I had to grab hold of her clothes and hold on, because I nearly lost her as she began to float downstream. That was a baptismal time that I will never, ever, ever forget. And then, as I said, we graduated to horse troughs. Horse troughs. It was a galvanized tank, uh, just out of convenience. We filled it up with water. And you would never, and the look on people's faces when you would tell them they needed to be baptized, and when you would bring them to this horse trough that was three feet or four feet deep and six feet long and about four and a half feet wide, I can still see their faces when we took them there and we say, This is where you're going to be baptized. But they didn't really care at all. You know why? Because they had repented with godly sorrow. They didn't care how they looked. They didn't care if it was in a river. They didn't care if it was in a horse trough. They didn't even care that it was ice cold water. Many of them that were baptized in that horse trough, they they came out of that horse trough and God filled them with a baptism of the Holy Ghost. Perhaps you're looking at uh, this uh, Bible lesson tonight, and maybe you were one of those individuals that were baptized in the horse trough. If so, say amen, amen, while you're there in your house here tonight. Baptism, though, is a cleansing. It's a cleansing. And when you desire to wash your dishes, what do you do? You don't just sprinkle some water on them and wipe them down and then go on. No, you give that dish a bath. You immerse them in water. When you desire to take a bath, you don't just sprinkle a little bit of water on you and say, yeah, I take a shower. Yeah, you might take a shower, but I promise you, you are made fully wet because you want to get clean. And I believe this is why he chose immersion, to show that baptism is a cleaning, it's a cleansing. Again, Acts 8 and 36 through 38, the Bible said, and as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me to be baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, there it is, you've got to believe. And he answered and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then the Bible says, he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water. Why did they go down both into the water? Because he was immersing him in water And the Bible says, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him there at that time. Now, here's another reason why we baptize by immersion. Baptism is symbolic of a burial. The Bible says in Romans 6 and 3, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? And then he said, "When when this happens, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Here he's saying that baptism is a burial. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach sprinkling for water baptism. 
Nowhere in the Bible will you find any example of anyone ever being baptized by sprinkling in the Word of God. No, the pattern of baptism was always by immersion and always in the name of Jesus Christ. Always was that way. Always. And the reason why, he said, just as surely as Christ was buried, when you are baptized, then you are identified with Him, amen, by being buried with Him by baptism. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 6. So he's saying, you are remembering that and you are putting away that old man of sin. Remember I said, repentance is a turning around. You come back now towards God. Repentance is dying to your will and dying to your way and living to God's way. Well, when you die, you have to have a burial, my friend. And that burial is water baptism. Water baptism testifies that this man has died. I have died to my way. I have died to my will. I have died to my ideas. And I am going to rise and I'm going to walk in newness of life. And the life that I live is going to be the life of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit flows through me. That's why baptism is so essential and necessary. Have you been buried with Him by baptism? Have you been baptized by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ? Now, just as surely as immersion is the proper pattern of baptism, so also is using the name of Jesus Christ, amen, when you are baptized. Did you know that no one was ever baptized except the name of Jesus was called upon them? Look, if you would, at Matthew chapter 28, there are... Uh, several passages where Jesus commanded His disciples to baptize. And one of them I'll read tonight is in Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus here says these words. He's with His disciples, and He's getting ready to, to go up into heaven. And this was after His resurrection. He appeared to above 500, the Bible says, and He walked upon the earth for about 40 days. And now He gathers His disciples with Him, and He tells them that they need to go to Jerusalem and, and, and wait or tarry until they're endued with power from on high. And so as he gathers with them, just before he goes up into heaven, he tells them these words. He says, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. What a powerful statement that is. He said, all power, all power. You know what the word all means in Greek? Right. It means all. It means everything. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then he tells them, Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And then in verse 20 he says, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And he says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And so Jesus here, he tells his disciples, there were 11 of them, remember Judas had died, and his 11 uh, apostles, the men that would become the, the apostles, uh, his inner circle that was there, uh, the Bible says that these 11, he told them, 
You go to Jerusalem, read Mark, or actually you can read Mark chapter 16, Luke chapter 24 also. And he says, go to Jerusalem, and he says, wait until you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, he said, then you preach. He says, go and preach the gospel to every creature. And then he says, you need to baptize them. He told them two things. Number one, you need to preach. Number two, those that you preach to, you need to baptize. And so he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And he said, then teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded to you. And so where, does this fi- where do we find the fulfillment of this passage in the Word of God? We find the fulfillment of this passage in Acts chapter 2. Where did these disciples actually obey what Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 28? Go to Acts chapter 2, and here the Bible says the Holy Spirit was poured out. There were about 120 people that were there. Mary, even the mother of Jesus, was there. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. They spoke with another language, another tongue, as the Spirit of God was poured out upon them. And then Peter stood... And he began to preach to a crowd that had gathered around that upper room where they were at. And it must have been quite a large crowd. Because as he preached, these men and women, they saw their need to be able to listen to what was going on. And and, and I know it was a large crowd because that day... The Bible said that there were several thousand that, were, that, were, that received the Word of God and uh, that, that were baptized. There were about 3,000 souls, the Bible says. And so while Peter was preaching to them, these people felt conviction in their heart. Here's how it says it. While Peter was preaching, they were pricked in their heart, and he said to them, they said to the Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What do we need to do about this conviction that is there in our heart? Remember, John preached repentance. And he said, he that comes after me is mightier than I. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. And this is what Peter said in obedience to Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. He stood and he obeyed what Jesus said by preaching, and this is what he said. Then Peter said unto them, repent. Ask God to forgive you. That is, the, that is the, that the preparation for water baptism. And then he says, be baptized. How many? Every one of you. Not one or two, but every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or the removal of the taking away of sins. And then he says, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Did you know that every place in the Word of God Where anyone was ever baptized, it was always in the name of Jesus Christ. It was always using the name of Jesus Christ. Always was that way. Some would say, well, does it really need to be that way? Yes, it does need to be that way. You need to be baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ. And as you are baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are washed away. I didn't say it. Peter said it in the Word of God. Even Paul, the Bible says when Paul was, uh, 
was, uh, was uh, uh, arrested by the Holy Ghost on his way to Damascus. Uh, the Bible says he was struck down and he was blinded for a time. And uh, uh, when Ananias came to preach to him, the Bible says from Paul's own words, uh, he said the Holy Spirit said, or, and, and through uh, this preacher, and now Saul, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, uh, calling on the name of the Lord, washing away your sins. Baptism, it washes our sins away because it applies the blood of Jesus Christ as the name of Jesus is called and as we confess our sins that God has forgiven us. In Acts chapter 19, the Bible says that Paul later was passing through an area, the upper coast in Ephesus, and he found certain disciples of John, and he asked them, He said in Acts 19 in verse 2, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, We haven't even heard that it's been poured out. And then Paul asked this very important question. He said unto them in verse 3, Unto what then were you baptized? Acts 19 in verse 3. Unto what then were you baptized? How were you baptized? And this is what they said. They said, We were baptized unto John's baptism. And then this is what Paul's response was. Paul said, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him that should come after him, that is on Christ, that is on Jesus Christ. And when they heard this, notice the Bible says in verse 5, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm going to tell you that Every place in this Bible, the Word of God, in the New Testament, where people were baptized, it was always in the name of Jesus, fulfilling the commandment of Matthew 28 and 19, to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. How do you say that, Pastor? Because Jesus Christ is the express image of the Father. He is the Son of the living God. And Jesus Christ is also that Spirit called the Holy Spirit. Paul said, is Christ in us the hope of glory. Let me give you one more passage as to why you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. You say, I've been baptized in, in the titles of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Well, God bless you, all right? And God bless you for your faith and your trust in Almighty God. But now that you've seen this... You need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And the reason why is because Acts 4 and 12, it says, Neither is there salvation in any other name, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we, you and I and everyone else, must be saved. Let me finally come to my last point as I'm coming quickly to a close. We have talked about the preparation for water baptism. We've talked about the pattern for water baptism. And now, let me end by saying there's the proclamation of water baptism. Repentance and faith are prepare us for water baptism. The pattern of baptism is by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ. But baptism is also a proclamation. It proclaims that I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I won't turn back. 
I won't turn back. That's the proclamation of baptism. He identifies with us, and we identify with Him. In one baptismal service, an old preacher, an old country preacher, he took the man down in the water, and when he brought him back up, he said, did you see the Lord? And the man, he thought for a moment, he said, no, I didn't see Him. And so immediately the old preacher took him back down again, and he held him down just just a little bit longer. And this time when he came up, he said, did you see the Lord? And the man thought for a moment, and he said, no, I, I didn't see him. And immediately the preacher put him down one more time, held him down just a little bit longer. This time he came up, and he was coughing and spitting and sputtering, and the preacher said, did you see the Lord? And the man said, are you sure he fell in here? Because <laughs> I didn't see him anywhere. But baptism, it proclaims that we have decided to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It proclaims that his death and his burial, Romans 6 and 5 says, if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also rise in the likeness of his resurrection. Baptism is the likeness of his death. And it is in the likeness of his resurrection. In the baptistry, the baptistry or the river or wherever a person is baptized, it is a picture of death and resurrection. When we go under the water, it's a picture of his death and his burial. When we come out of the water, it is a picture proclaiming that Jesus Christ resurrected. This is what happens every time a man, a woman, or a child is baptized. You say, but does it really matter, Pastor? Well, how many of you have grandchildren or children? How many of you have pictures? I'll raise both my hands. Well, suppose, you, uh, suppose I have never seen them, and I say, would you show me a picture of your children, your grandchildren? And you pull out your wallet, and there are dogs and cats and other animals that are there, and I say, wow, you sure do have some strange-looking grandkids, I must declare. And then you say, oh, no, it's not them, but... Any old picture will do. It's just the thought that counts. <laughs> no, you would never put up with that. No, and neither is it that way when it comes to baptism. It's not just the thought that counts. It's the obedience and the pattern. It's the preparation for that. God has declared there is a right way. I want my death and my burial, and my resurrection to be shown again and again. And when you repent, you die. When you're baptized, you're buried. When you come out of that water, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And I close with this. I better close right now, otherwise you won't tune in next week, all right? A little boy, after he had repented, he said, when he had heard about baptism, he said, I want to be advertised. He had it a little bit wrong, but you know what? That's exactly what baptism does. Baptism advertises my intentions to live for the Lord. Baptism dismisses my sins. It carries them all away, and it advertises that I have decided to follow Jesus. And so my question to you tonight, my friend, have you been advertised? I mean, baptized so that you can advertise. Say, well, I don't really think it's that important. No, 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 no. I've already showed you in the Word of God tonight 
that it is absolutely important. Now, will you be baptized in water by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ? I trust that you will. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every man and woman that is listening tonight. Lord, I thank you for the church of the living God that is listening tonight, and they are celebrating this wonderful truth of the Word of God, the foundation of the Christian life. The foundation of the Christian life is that which is laid by you and the apostles. We are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. And now, Lord, as we have that foundation, then we can begin to build thereon. I pray for every person who has been baptized that they would look back and remember that wonderful day that they were baptized and that they would celebrate once again the fact that I have been baptized. And Lord, that they would advertise and tell about that. But also I pray for those that have never been baptized or perhaps have not been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ by immersion. Lord, may they pray about this. And as they pray about this, May the Word of God come clear to where they're at, and may they seek out someone to baptize them the Bible way. God bless you tonight is our prayers. We look forward to seeing each of you online again tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. Pastor Anthony and Sister Heather and Peyton will be online with family devotions, and then Friday night once again on Saturday there will be a Zoom uh, with all of the young people uh, with Pastor Rob. And then we will be back here Sunday morning uh, broadcasting live where we'll have another wonderful message from the Word of God to be able to share with all of you that are listening. Please tag somebody and share uh, these services with them. Uh, Sunday night, we're going to be uh, having Reverend Jerry Jones that will be preaching for us. You won't want to miss that. God bless you as our prayers. I pray that the peace of God that passes all understanding would rest in your hearts, that the joy of the Lord would be your strength, and that you would walk in faith knowing that God is on your side. We'll see you the next time. God bless you. In Jesus' name.